This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You may be seated. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration, a mountaintop experience, quite literally. It happened on the top of a mountain. Um, I remember one of the greatest days of my life was the day that we found out we were going to have twins. I distinctly remember looking at that ultrasound screen, seeing those two circles and thinking, oh no, my baby has two heads. (laughs) And then the doctor said, do you see what I see? And then I knew what was actually I was looking at and I started giggling like a schoolboy. I couldn't stop. The joy was unstoppable. Part of why that was so fun is only just a month or two prior to that, some of our best friends, the Jacobsons, had found out they were having twins very late in their pregnancy. So it was kind of a surprise and everybody was laughing about it at church. In that time, uh, one of our missionaries was on their rounds visiting. So Carrie DeSwan, who also has twins, was there in the sanctuary. I said, Carrie, did you hear the news? Victoria's having twins. You got to go talk to her. And and Carrie said, oh, I heard all about it. I already talked to her. I said, the first six months are really hard. And then it gets better. And then she leans in and she says, really, it's 18 months, but don't tell her I said that. (laughs) A month later, I'm at the ultrasound thinking, Justin's going to flip out. He's never going to believe it. 18 months, okay. (laughs) About a month after that, we were at our next ultrasound And the doctor there was telling us that because of the way our girls were carrying, they actually had a 50% chance of not making it. And even if they did survive, there was a a possibility that due to suffering loss of oxygen, they, they could have lifelong handicap. We said no. Providentially, that ultrasound was on Good Friday. It was the morning of Good Friday. And we drove from the hospital to the church, to the ministry center. And this was when our Stations of the Cross still had the icons above each station. And after we went through the service, I went back to the station where Jesus accepts his cross. And I just parked there. And I just said over and over, God, I don't want this to be true. God, I don't want this to be true. Make this untrue. I don't want this to be true. Make it go away. but I realized it's not going to go away. This this is the reality. And that what God was asking me to do in that moment was to accept this cross. So we did. And from there forward, the remaining four months of that pregnancy were filled with faith and prayer, yes, and some scary moments and some amazing God-faithfulness moments. And at the end of it, the birth of our two daughters. In the story of the transfiguration, we have this mountaintop experience, the glory, the glory of God, the divine glory that was there in the beginning before all things were created, and Peter, James, and John are tasting a bit of it. And yet, everywhere around it, before this story and a little bit after, and even embedded in the story itself, there are notes of discord. Something is wrong. Something's out of place. There is here and there a mention of suffering and even a cross? Go back to page five in your bulletin. I want to read our collect. It tells us exactly why it is that on the last Sunday of, of Epiphany, before we enter into Lent, it is always the Feast of the Transfiguration. This collect tells us why. O God, who before the passion, which is the, the suffering and death of your only begotten Son, 
You revealed his glory upon the holy mountain. Grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, we may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. So the church has placed the Feast of the Transfiguration right before Lent because we're at this liturgical turning point where we go from the season of Epiphany, which is about revelation and manifestation and glory and a greater understanding of who Christ is. And then we turn to Lent, and Lent is the season where we set our sights on Good Friday, the suffering and the death of Jesus, our Messiah. And through Lent, we actually journey with him in our own journey of of suffering and death to self. And the church has always said, the transfiguration must go here, a glimpse of the glory before we enter back into the valley. It's not only the liturgical calendar turning point, but even in the story of the gospel, it's a turning point. So it's been 16 chapters up to this point of Jesus teaching and doing miracles and glory, and only recently Right before this story, Jesus says, yes, I am the Messiah, but I want to tell you what kind of Messiah I am. I will suffer, and I will die. And Peter says, no, you won't. And Jesus says, yes, I will. It's the kind of Messiah I am. And he continued from this point forward, every so often reminding them, we go to Jerusalem, there I will suffer and die. And every time he does this, the disciples are confused, they're bewildered, they can't make sense of it. He's saying, I will rise again, but somehow that doesn't register with them. All they hear is Messiah suffering and death. This does not compute. But it's the turning point in the story of the gospel. And so Leo the Great, who was the Bishop of Rome back in the fourth, fifth century, he says this about the transfiguration. Jesus revealed his glory on the mountain to prevent his disciples from being scandalized by the cross. As a way of saying, the one you see dying there, yes, he is the same one whose divine glory you saw on the mount. So Jesus knew, and God knew that in our weakness, we needed at least just a taste of that glory, a glimpse of that glory to help us make it through the suffering and the bewilderment and the confusion of our Messiah's suffering and death, when everything seemed to be turned upside down and going wrong. God said, I'll I'll give you that peace to hold on, and it will carry you through. So like our colic this morning, it says, we begin by beholding his glory on the mount. Next, we're taught to bear our cross, and then the final result is we're being changed into his likeness. So this morning, we'll talk about beholding the glory bearing our cross, being changed, transformed into his likeness. So first, we behold the glory. If you're not open already to Matthew 17, go ahead and open your Bibles there. In this story, we see the figures of Moses and Elijah. We hear the voice of the Father and the presence of the cloud, and they're all pointing to Jesus. That's that's the focus of the first five verses of this story. Look at verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and they went up a mountain by themselves. Okay, why why does he note that it's six days? Well, that connects us back to our Old Testament reading where Moses goes up the mountain with three men, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and for six days, the cloud of God's presence was on the mountain. And after six days on the seventh, God called Moses up into the mountain, and there he gave him the Ten Commandments and the blueprints for the tabernacle. He revealed himself to Moses. Verse 2, 
Jesus was transfigured, can also mean changed or transformed, uh, same root word, metamorphosis. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, his clothes became white as light. So here we have a cluster of words that all have to do with an unhuman, unnatural brilliance, shone, sun, white as light, and then later we're told that the cloud itself was not just a cloud, it was a bright cloud. All these words that have to do with brilliance. I remember when I was a kid, first time hearing somebody say very firmly, whatever you do, don't go outside and what? Stare up at the sun with your, with your naked eye. And being a little boy, of course, the first thing I did was next chance I had, I went outside and tried to look up at the sun, tried to stare. Oh, that's so painful. I tried it again. Yes, that really hurts. Okay. When I grew up, I tried it again because I thought maybe something had changed, either on my part or the sun's, but I found out, no, that, that, that wasn't the case. But even still, on really cloudy days, I will look up at the sun just to make myself feel better. But isn't that amazing that there's this thing that is such an important part of our everyday life and our existence, and we can't even look at it. It's there all the time, but we can't directly stare at it. And that kind of glory, that kind of brilliance was right next to Peter and James and John. The glory, the brightness of a sun shining on the face of Jesus. The rabbis taught that Adam, in the beginning in the garden, had a face that shone like this, but that he lost that radiance when he sinned. And they taught that the Messiah would come to restore the radiance. Look at verse 3. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So here are Moses and Elijah. They represent the law because Moses wrote the law and the prophets. Elijah was the greatest of the prophets. And the law and the prophets, that's a key phrase in Matthew. The law and the prophets is a way of summing up the Hebrew scriptures. The first section is the law. All the other books could be categorized as the prophets. So the law and the prophets. And both are here and both are pointing to Jesus. He is flanked by Moses and Elijah as a way to say, like a frame, framing a picture. It's not the frame that you look at. It's the picture in the middle. Here is your Messiah. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses is writing and he's saying, there will come another prophet like me. The same level of importance. Look for this prophet. And then this is really key. He says, you shall listen to him. Reminds us of what the Father says later in our story. Listen to him. So Moses is saying, another prophet is coming like me. Listen to him. And Moses' presence here on the mountain pointing to Jesus and saying, here he is. Here's the prophet. Likewise, Elijah, some of the last words written by the Hebrew prophets in the book of Malachi said that before the Lord comes, Elijah will go ahead. Elijah will return. And here's Elijah pointing to Jesus, saying, here's the Lord who comes after me. The law, prophets, they frame up Jesus. Here he is in his supremacy. Verse 4, now Peter speaks. He says, I'll make three tents, one for you and Moses and Elijah. And Mark and Luke tell us he said this because he didn't know what else to say. 
Luke also tells us, however, that he said this right as Moses and Elijah were, were parting from Jesus. So it gives us the sense that they actually were, were starting to leave. And Peter saying, no, 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 I want to hold on to this moment. I want to hold on to this glory. I want to control the circumstances right now. I don't want to leave this place. And so he comes up with some idea. I know how I'll get them to do what I want. I know how I'll get them to stay. I'll build three booths. That will do it. Peter wants to hold on to the moment, make the moment last, try to control it. That feels familiar to us, doesn't it? Don't we do the same thing as Peter? We have an idea of how something is supposed to be, our life, a particular relationship, whatever the case may be. We have an idea of how it's supposed to be, and the moment we sense that it's not going that way, we scramble. We try to control. We, we come up with different schemes. because it's so hard to accept anything different than the vision that we have. John Chrysostom, early church father, interpreted it this way. He said, Peter is still trying to find a way to prevent the cross. So again, previous chapter, chapter 16, Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, and I will suffer and die. Peter says, no, you won't, and Jesus says, yes, I will. And John Chrysostom says, Peter, in this moment of constructing the booths, he's trying to figure out a way to establish the glory of the new kingdom without having to go to the cross. He's saying, look, this is it. We've arrived. We're in the glory. There's Moses. There's Elijah. There's our Messiah in the center. Let's build booths. Let's make this mountain the new Zion. All the world will come to us here. You can dispense wisdom. You can rule in your kingdom from right here, but let's not change anything. And let's do away with that cross business. We've arrived. The glory is here. But what Peter didn't understand is that the secret of the kingdom, the secret of the gospel, the secret of the Christian life is that the cross is not an inconvenient stepping stone on the way to glory. But the cross is the glory. The love of God fully displayed. Here I am, God says, giving in fullness my life for the life of the world. Here I am giving my love, expecting nothing in return, knowing that many will refuse me, that many will even mock me, yet I give it nonetheless, without a shadow of contempt. That's Jesus. That's his love, and that's the glory of God. The cross is not a stepping stone or an inconvenient uh, stepping stone on the way. It, It is the glory. God's love truly revealed. We move on to verse 5. Peter's still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So here we have the Trinitarian witness. We had the law and the prophets witnessing. We have the New Testament apostles. They'll they'll write the New Testament eventually. They're also witnessing. But greater than both the Old Testament and the New Testament is the witness of God himself. We have the voice of the Father. We have the cloud witnessing that Jesus is the Son of God. 
The bright cloud overshadowed. That's the same verb that was used when the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and the glory of God will come upon you. This is the same Holy Spirit cloud that filled the temple on the day that it was dedicated in the cloud of God's glory and presence. The Spirit was so thick that they had to bow to the ground in worship and holy fear, just like Peter, James, and John will do in just a moment. And that Holy Spirit cloud is now centering on Jesus, pointing to him as if to say, here is the new temple. Here now is the meeting place between God and man where heaven and earth unite. The Holy Spirit is pointing to Jesus. And of course, the voice of the Father, my son. It doesn't say that it's the voice of the Father, but because he says, my son, we know this is the Father's voice. My son, my only son. It's true, all of us are children of God by adoption through Jesus Christ. But there is only one only begotten eternal Son of God. And the Father is saying, here he is. He's unique among anything you could find in the world. There is no one like him. So the law, the prophets, the Father, the Spirit, all pointing to Jesus. And for all of the Bible's complexity, and for all of the difficulty in understanding even what we believe about the Trinity, I appreciate the simplicity that God affords us here in this moment. He says, do you, know, do you want to know what to do? Put Jesus at the center of everything. Put Jesus at the center of your life. If you know that, you know everything you need to know. But again, it's not just Jesus, our Messiah. It is Jesus, our suffering Messiah. So to behold his glory is to put the suffering Messiah at the center of your life. To behold his glory is to put the suffering Messiah at the center of our lives. So we've talked about beholding his glory. Let's talk now what it means to bear our cross. So here we are, Moses and Elijah, the voice and the cloud, all, all centered on Jesus. And here at the climax of the story, all eyes are on him. He's the beloved son. And now what? Into this glorious scene, the divine voice thunders. And the climax of the story is this. Listen to him. Listen to him. And if you want to know what is transformation boiled down to a simple concept, there it is. Listen to him. This listen to him is also a slight rebuke and, and rebuff to Peter. Again, the father is saying, Peter, stop with your other ideas and your other plans. Stop avoiding the reality of the cross. Listen to what he has said. He has told you that it will be a cross and self-denial Stop resisting. Stop trying to find another way around. Stop arguing and listen. Accept. The first step, Peter, for you to be transfigured into this same glory is to accept that the pathway to life is through death and the pathway to glory is through suffering. But Peter, like me, like all of us, it's very natural and understandable that we find ourselves parked at that station saying, I don't want this to be true. Make this untrue. I don't want this to be real. Let this not be real. Maybe if I say this enough times, it will make it unreal. 
until we realize, no, that's not the path forward. The path forward is to accept the cross. Transformation and transfiguration begins only when we do this. So look again. Now we're going to back up to chapter 16, verse 24. Here Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So here we find that to listen to him, the Father said, listen to him. Part of what that means to listen to him is to listen to these words that Jesus just spoke and will speak again repeatedly throughout the rest of the gospel story on the way to Jerusalem. But what does it mean to bear our cross? Because that is a phrase that if you've been in church for a while, you, you've probably heard somebody use that phrase, well, I guess this is my cross to bear, or we should bear our crosses. What does it actually mean? I'd actually like to get pretty practical here and, and tell you four things of what it means to bear the cross. How do we do this? So number one, how do we bear our cross? We bear our cross through obedience. What does the Father say? Listen to him. And of course, listen has two meanings, doesn't it? It, it means, yes, to hear and to understand what's being said, but when what is being said is a command, we know that the second part of listening is doing the command. As James says, do not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So to bear our cross, we seek a life of obedience where we listen. We hear with our ears and pay attention, but then we do what is said. And there are two ways that we can do this. Uh, there are many ways, but let me give you two. So this Lent, Lent is upon us, and it's a time where we are typically taking on new spiritual disciplines. I really encourage you to make space at some point in your week throughout Lent for meditating on God's Word. Make space, because it's in His Word that we hear His voice, that He speaks to us. So make meditation on God's Word a priority, and as you're reading, you're asking these questions of, is there an example here for me to follow? Is there a command here that, in what I've just read for me to obey? And through constantly asking those questions, example to follow, something to obey, we begin to live this life of obedience, and we practice what, what is said here to listen to Him. Meditate on His Word. Look for things to obey and do it. The second way that we can listen is that we listen for those Holy Spirit nudges that come to us throughout the day. Just those little nudges. Do this. Don't do that. Speak this way. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit speaks through our conscience. So if we're listening to our conscience, the Holy Spirit is guiding us. And if we seek to obey promptly when we feel this nudge, then that's another way that we're exercising that muscle and growing in obedience. So first way to bear the cross, obedience. Second way that we bear the cross, we accept difficulty. We accept difficulty. There are two ways that difficulty can come to us. Uh, one is it's given to us by God in that we find ourselves in circumstances that are challenging. We, we, we find ourselves in the life that we're living. We have a difficulty. And so often our, our goal and what we're trying to do, like 
Peter is find some scheme or some way around or out of the difficulty to say, I don't want this to be true. And oftentimes what is actually needed for our holiness and our growth becoming like Jesus is to say, no, I accept this difficulty. These very circumstances and not some other circumstances, these are the circumstances that God has engineered so that I might grow in holiness and become like him. So rather than spend all of my time resisting, as soon as I accept, now I can move forward. So some difficulties come to us from God. Some difficulties we choose. Again, the season of Lent is upon us. This is a time of prayer and fasting, of letting go, of taking on spiritual disciplines that I'll I'll say more about next week. You'll hear about it on Ash Wednesday as well. But through fasting and prayer, we also accept difficulty. Uh, And if you look again, chapter 16, 24, when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Well, to deny yourself and self-denial, the church has always read that part of what that means is fasting, giving up, letting go. And through that fasting, you're denying yourself. You're accepting a difficulty. And in this, we bear our cross and we're transformed. So through obedience, through accepting difficulty, and third, another way to bear our cross is to pray for the conviction of sin. Yes, <laughs> to pray for the conviction of sin. The cross is the instrument by which sin was destroyed. So to bear our cross means to let the light of his glory shine on the remaining dark places within us. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how mature you are, there are still and always will be on this earth further places where the the searching light of God's holiness can say, okay, now this. Okay, now this. I want this behavior. I want this attitude. Turn it over to me. I want change. And when he puts his finger on something, now it's back to step one, obedience. And we, we promptly confess, Lord, forgive me of that wrong attitude or that wrong habit, pattern of behavior. I give it to you. We, we confess, but then we also make changes in our life. We make changes in our life that fit and are in accordance with the belief that I really want to move away from that attitude, that behavior. I'm going to make changes. And that's how we bear our cross. Now, one thing that I love about the Holy Spirit that's been really helpful for me over the years is just to, to learn how he is specific when he speaks to us. It's the devil who loves to speak in generalities. And when the devil speaks, you're always going to feel weighted down. You're going to feel heavy. When the Holy Spirit c- convicts us, there's, there's actually a lightness and there's an excitement of, I, yes, I want a change here. I, I actually want that to be different. And I actually believe that it will be if God is helping me. But Satan loves to speak in generalities. Oh, you're you're not good enough. You're not doing enough. You should do more. You're a bad Christian. Those are all very general, unhelpful. How how do I even make progress on that? So the Holy Spirit will never, never tell you, you need to stop looking at porn. Obviously, God does not want you looking at pornography. But the Holy Spirit will do is say, your next step is to let go of your Netflix subscription. Or your next step is to remove internet access from your home until we start making progress on this. Or your next step is to go talk to a pastor. But those are all doable, concrete steps, things that we can do to start this journey. 
And in a season of prayer and fasting that is coming in Lent, I, I've experienced it myself. I've heard so many testimonies and stories of others who've experienced it as well, that in a season of fasting and prayer and penance, God really shows up and he meets us and he convicts us. And the joy, of course, is that when he convicts us, he does it to raise us up. So look at verses 6 and 7. When the disciples heard the voice, they saw the glory, they realized they were seeing something that no mortal had ever seen. They fell on their faces and were terrified. That's the holy fear of God. But then what happens? Look at verse 7. Jesus comes with gentleness and love. He touches them and he says, rise and do not be afraid anymore. In our prayer and fasting, God reveals glory, and in that light, we often see our sin more clearly, and that is not a fun experience. But it is also true, and it is just a fundamental law of the kingdom, that whenever we're humbled, he will always lift us up. So when he convicts us, when we're humbled by our sin or our weakness, we can also be assured that right in that moment, Jesus is about to come close. And with intimacy and gentleness, he's going to grab hold of us. He's going to say, rise and don't be afraid anymore. I'm going to help you. I'm going to lift you up out of this. And this is the fundamental paradigm of following Jesus. We're humbled, but then we're lifted up. We're humbled, but then we're lifted up. We're humbled, and we're lifted up again and again, over and over, until we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next, and we become like him. Now, I know there are some of you here who would say, I never hear God speak. I never feel God close to me. Let me pose a question to you. Have you ever been deeply humbled by the Word of God, whether it's the Word of God preached or the Word of God read, have you ever been humbled by the Word of God? Have you ever been utterly undone before God and had no choice but to fall on your face before Him? And I do mean literally, have you ever been on the floor? If you've, have you never been on the floor before God before? Have you ever had to stand far off, barely able to look up to heaven and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? Has your pride ever been laid low, cast down before the majesty and holiness of God? And there on your face, you actually know that there's a sweetness in the confession, God, you are God, and I am not. You are the potter. And I'm the clay, because of course, as soon as we find ourselves in that place of deep humility, we know that the glory of God is at hand. I think of Job. At the end of the book of Job, he says, I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. But God raises him up. If you need help, knowing that humility before the God, that you are the potter, I am the clay, then I'd actually say that Job chapters 38 to the end of the book are a great place to go and just be humbled by God's Word. It's one great place to start. But if you've never had a reason to fall on your face before God, it's not surprising that you've never felt 
him close to you. But there is something you can do about this. You can pray, okay, God, humble me and convict me of sin. I want to truly change. I want to truly change. God, humble me and convict me of sin. I, I want to truly change. So we bear our cross through obedience. We bear our cross through accepting difficulty. We bear our cross through praying for the conviction of sin. And fourth, we bear our cross when we die to ourselves and lose our lives. So look again, chapter 16, 25. Whoever would save his life, if you want life, if you want the reward, if you want to keep your life, what does he say? You actually have to let go of it. But whoever lets go of his life, you will find it. So to die to yourself, to lose your life, what does that look like? Well, it means let go of ambition. Let go of your plans. Let go of the things that this world values and cares about, like money, power, fame, honor, and recognition, even on a small scale. Let go of the pursuit of pleasure, the relentless pursuit of pleasure. These things the world cares about, money, fame, power, the relentless pursuit of pleasure. Let go. Let go of your carefully formed identity and simply be a fool for Christ. Your identity from now on, I'm a fool for Jesus. That's who I am. I let go of everything else. And after all that letting go, the one thing that you cling to, to die to yourself, the one thing you cling to is, but I will love the people right around me and I will serve them. We let go of ourselves. We cling to the love for one another. And that is how we bear our cross. So we've talked about beholding his glory. We've talked about bearing our cross through obedience, accepting difficulty, praying for conviction, and ultimately dying to self. What is the result? The result, then, is that we are being transformed. We are being transfigured into his glory. Yes, it's true that there's no glory without suffering, but the opposite is also true, that in Jesus Christ there is no suffering that will not in the end turn to glory. And some of you feel so far away from the glory. You're ready to give up right now. And you're saying, if what it means is for me to bear the cross from here all the way to there, I'm not sure that I can do it. And in that moment, we need to be reminded that if you continue, the Bible is promising that if you do not give up, you will make it. How awful it is to attempt a journey when you're not sure, will we make it or not? Will all this pain and the sacrifice be worth it? If we don't know the answer, we're not going to be motivated to go. But if we're told ahead of time, yes, you're guaranteed to make it, I will help you, the Lord says. As long as you do not give up, you will make it. That gives us the strength and the courage to continue. So Paul says to the Philippians, I'm convinced that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. He says to the Galatians, let us not grow weary of pursuing the good, for if we do not give up, at the proper time we will reap a harvest. We shall. It's promised and guaranteed. 
We can endure just about anything if we have a future hope. And what is our future hope? What gives us the courage to bear the cross? It is this promise that we will be transfigured too. John says in his letter to the churches, when Christ appears at the end of the ages, when Christ comes, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so our hope and the promise held out to us is that the glory that was revealed to Peter and James and John on the mountain, that is revealed to us this morning as we remember the transfiguration, is our own future glory. And in that hope, let us persevere. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.